everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on the second episode ever of Titans of Healthcare, brought to you by Slice of Healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. We, we started off our first episode on the future of virtual care, and we are following that up with the future of women's health, which is no longer niche. It was never niche, but a lot of people put it in that bucket. And I'm really excited to, to be joined by our guest today, Alicia Jackson, the founder and CEO at Evernow, uh, Vasher Rao, the head of Nurex at 30 Madison, and Allison Greenberg, the co-founder and CEO at Ruth Health. Thank you all for joining me today. I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to start out with uh, basically our first discussion point, and that is really around the women's health landscape today. We're going to go through a similar format as we did on episode one, panel format, starting with Alicia, then Varsha, then Allison. So Alicia, would really love to hear your thoughts on that, and uh, we'll go down the row. Um, very excited about virtual care's impact on women's health today, and especially what we've seen over the past several months. Um, I think one of the, the most exciting things here is that women traditionally, while being in charge of more than 80% of the healthcare decisions that get made, uh, their lives tend to be the most complex in terms of balancing kids, in terms of balancing work, in terms of balancing their parents and parental care. Um, and so, you know, women have generally put themselves last in that healthcare equation because they just haven't had the time to spend on themselves. And virtual care really enables a new model of healthcare that can meet her where she is so that women can get the care that they need and don't hold off too long on getting it. Varsha, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, first of all, it's great to be here today. Um, I wanted to just build off of what you were saying, Alicia. I think um, definitely feel that women have always been, you know, we call it like the chief medical officer of the family. And so I think it's important to um, have more options available for um for women to be able to better take care of themselves and their families. I, I actually also think that what historically, when we say women's health, we've honestly really only been talking about reproductive health. And that's still a pretty, I mean, you know, it's, it's an important part of uh, a woman's journey, but it's still a pretty um, small part of their entire life, lifetime. And so what I feel much more strongly about is that we really need to expand the um, idea and the, even the definition of what women's health is. It is, it is actually all healthcare for women. And there are gaps in care uh, along the way, whether it's in you know, early days with access to contraception, it's in later in life with access to menopausal care, it's chronic conditions where people are you know, not necessarily getting the care that they need, as well as as well as during that met, um, reproductive journey period, where you know often people are left to their own, um, left to their own, and to figure it out. And so I think we're seeing um, much better solutions across that entire journey, which I think starts to really tap into what is really what we mean when we talk about women's health care. And Allison, if you want to follow that up, and then we'll go on to our, our next core discussion point. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what Alicia and, and Varsha are, you know, smartly getting at is this idea that um, women's health, which was seen very much as kind of a subspecialty, is suddenly becoming something that has its own subspecialties. So, you know, that's something that I get excited about because virtual care for, you know, the majority of its existence was about physician-based care, it was about prescriptions, and it was not so much about, you know, what we like to think about at Ruth Health as collaborative care. And that's what gets me really excited is the opportunity to do physical therapy via telehealth, um, to get counseling from, you know, lactation consultants, nutritionists, sleep specialists, uh, all the folks that are that go beyond your physician all of that sort of auxiliary or interstitial care, I think we can start to break down into the pieces that still need to happen in person, but the many pieces that can happen from your home. And where that can be so impactful for women is that we know with women making so many healthcare decisions um, and also being kind of the orchestrator of healthcare for their family, they are left with less time in the day. They are left with a damaged, you know, economic and earning potential because of the amount of time and effort that goes into managing care. And so we are really hoping to see virtual care as an opportunity to meet them where they are and to welcome the family into that care. So while during COVID, you know, partners were not allowed in the exam room, children historically have not been welcomed into appointments. You know, you can actually be meeting with your clinician and have a kid running around in the background, not need to secure childcare and not need to secure a half a day off of work, not need to rely on a partner. So all of that means that healthcare becomes more accessible. And it also means that um, women's decision making potential and an ability to access care is not impinging upon their ability to also have a career, um, continue to have, you know, growth of the family. And I think that's really exciting that we now have more options. And Allison, we're going to take it now the other way down, down the, the row. So we're going to keep having you uh, talk here uh, for a little bit longer. A lot of you already mentioned this uh, a little bit, I think, in your and kind of when you were going through the, the women's health landscape today. But let's talk, uh, we're recording this the day after uh, the American Telemedicine Association Conference. I just got back last night. And so it's uh, virtual care has, uh, has definitely seen huge growth over the last two years, uh, you know, part, partly driven by the pandemic, but partly because we were getting to that point. Uh, a lot of people tell me that eventually we'll, we'll call healthcare just, it will be digital health, it won't be just healthcare. Uh, every organization will have a digital health presence. But let's, let's shift focus to talk a little bit about that, starting with you, Allison. Let's talk about virtual care's impact on women's health. What, what have you seen and, and kind of where do you see that heading? Yeah, well, you know what, I'm going to start with some of the negative impact because all of us see the positive impact, but we also know that over 80% of, you know, preventative visits to the office, things like pap smears and mammograms were missed during the first year and a half of COVID. So I don't ever want to make it sound like virtual care is the end all be all. It solves all problems. It meets all needs. Um, I think we are still making up for the bottleneck that was that year and a half to two years when folks were not actually getting in to see, you know, in, in the women's health case, their OBGYNs and making sure to do maintenance and preventative care. Um, but 
it also creates an opportunity where virtual care is now our chance to sort of take care of the needs that typically don't get met. Physical therapy is one great example where, you know, those are the sessions that you kind of fit in when you can. And people are extremely non-adherent in the U.S. to regimens of physical therapy. But those sessions are harder to miss when you can log on as easily as you can a virtual meeting. So I think the access piece is critical as long as we also measure it with the fact that, you know, Wi-Fi insecurity still plagues over 20 percent of the U.S. and infrastructure improvements, especially in, you know, rural America, are going to be the key to achieving health equity when it comes to virtual care. Thank you, Allison. We'd love to hear your thoughts, uh, Varsha, uh, on that same question. Yeah, you know, I think access is one of the most exciting elements of um, virtual care's impact uh, on women's health, meaning that, you know, our ability to really unlock um, care for folks who have challenges getting access to it. So, you know, there's about a there's about, you know, 19 and a half million women who live in contraception deserts. Um, there's about a thousand counties in the U.S. where they you don't have access to full um, reproductive uh, contraceptive choices in a, in a clinic, any kind of clinic um, nearby. And so, you know, access is not easy for a lot of people, you know, and I think one of the things that we've been really proud of at NURAX that about, is that about 40% of our patients actually come from the South. Uh, we're not just a coastal company, um, which, you know, a lot of tech companies are. And I think we've been able to, you know, sort of really reach out to folks across the, um, the U.S. And, you know, to talk about something that, you know, is really front and center for us right now, um, with, you know, the challenges out there to Roe v. Wade. Uh, it's something that, you know, I think we feel that we're obviously really, really concerned about the tenor of the conversation and where this might go. Um, you know, I guess we're humbled to be able to play a small part in being able to increase access to um, some types of uh ways to give people more comfort, like emergency contraception. Just even over the last 24 hours, we've seen a 300% increase in um, people who've been requesting emergency contraception. I think people want to have it on hand um, in case they have a, a situation that warrants it. And, you know, we saw something similar around the time when SB8 came into being last summer. And we've done a lot to try to enable, you know, overnight shipping and, you know, making sure access is affordable. Um, so I think these are ways that, you know, we can try to, um, you know, s help in a, in a scenario where things are challenging. Um, but in general, I'd say access is, is one of the main things. And when I say access, the, the geographic access is one element, but cost is the other. You know, realistically, you know, you can get access to a, vir a lot of virtual care services that are much, um, probably a third of the price, if not less, than what it would cost you if you had to pay out of pocket to go to see a provider. And I think, you know, with a lot of high deductible plans, that is the reality for people. So um, I'll pause, but uh, it's, I am in inspired and encouraged. I think it's what keeps us going, even when there's some challenges that we're seeing right now. Thank you, Varsha. Uh, let's, let's kick it over to you, Alicia, for your thoughts. 
Yeah, I I resonate so much with what both Ruth and Varsha are keying in here on access really being such a driver to improvements in women's health, whether whether it is that geographic access or access to mo- new modes of, of receiving healthcare. Um, you know, the pandemic was was incredibly tough um, for everyone, and especially on women who bore the brunt of having to not only work at home, but often take over much of the childcare and schooling um, that they needed. Um, However, I think the thing that I'm super excited about is the fact that we got to Um, really see a wellspring of innovation during this period of time that helped us to rethink a lot of the things about healthcare that we assumed could never be changed. Everything from um, how you pay for it, um, the fact that you could get physical therapy that works super well, um, the fact that we've had so much mental health care expansion over this period of time and normalization. Um, And then especially um, some of the policy changes that we saw happen in terms of enabling doctors to practice across state lines, like incredible. And, you know, obviously really disappointing to see those regulations being, or those those innovations being rolled back. Um, but I think overall, it's gonna end up being a net positive because so many of these healthcare, these digital health companies, these telehealth companies saw a huge amount of growth. And so overall, I think it is a net positive. Um, I'm really glad Varsha brought up, you know, there's still, you know, there's still incredible hurdles for women to get the care that they need. And I think we're all incredibly dedicated to making sure that, that health equity remains number one here for, for women. Thanks, Alicia. We're going to stick with uh, with you for this next question, too, for a follow-up. So I'm actually going to combine two of uh, the, the topics that we wanted to discuss because I think they kind of lead into one another. But it was really around uh, how the pandemic affected women's health. And then part two to that is what could the next five to ten years look like, maybe as both a result of that and also just as kind of where we were heading before this. Yeah, so I um, just building on my comments earlier. Obviously, again, women women really bore the brunt of the pandemic, and it, it did cause a lot of negative health impacts and just lifestyle negative impacts. Um, I think the thing that we at Ever now specifically are super interested in, but I think you're going to see roll out. And I know that so many of the companies here, I know Thirty Madison for sure, are involved with is the ability for these telehealth platforms to collect an enormous amount of data and information on healthcare outcomes, on improving healthcare outcomes, on um, really honing in on different populations and looking at how they respond to treatments, what kind of health outcomes they have, et cetera. And that is the thing that really lights me up over the next five to 10 years is that I think we're gonna start moving from a model where Um, clinical trials or really understanding what was going on with maybe a smaller subpopulation in healthcare could take a very, very long time um, to set up, to have in place, to have enough people as part of those so we can actually get outcomes data that could change care. And the exciting thing about telehealth with, with all of its structured data, with all of its reach, I think that cycle could be sped up much faster. 
Um, and so, you know, just, you know, speaking parochially about ever now, we've already seen like phenomenal data come through on different populations, how they experience menopause, what treatments work for which women. Um, and that's the thing that makes me most excited is I think for especially women's health here, we can leapfrog decades of underinvestment in studying and understanding women's health, um, women's health and disease and outcomes there. And so I think we may be able to move the ball forward for women very quickly here. Marcia, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think um, so much of everything that Alicia said resonates with me. I mean, there definitely were tremendous challenges, which I don't know if we're fully out of yet, um, but I think we're hopefully slowly emerging. But I think one of the key benefits was just the trust that was built towards telehealth. You know, I think we saw that, you know, at Nurex, telehealth you know, in general, I think telehealth went from being like a second or third option at best um, to being a primary option. And I think, you know, in general, when you start to use something and you have a good experience, that's what we saw at Nurex. We saw a lot of patients come on board during that time, and, and largely they've stayed with us. And so that's been really um, exciting. It's probably accelerated the trust in telehealth by probably five years. Um, and now I feel like, you know, our our journey over the next five to 10 years is going really deep into special specialization. So I think it's something we think about really um, carefully at 30 Madison Nurex where, you know, we're very focused on building deep specialization in the areas of care that we offer, whether that's in migraine, whether it's in reproductive and sexual health um, or mental health, which we actually uh, recently went live with. And so, you know, I think going really deep into these areas, uh, as Alicia talks about, you know, menopause, as Allison has mentioned around maternal care, I think what we're going to see is world-class care coming about in these areas of deep specialization. And, and that's, I think, honestly, largely something that most people have not had access to because it's really hard to get that specialist quality care um, through your PCP. I mean, some PCPs are fantastic, but some, you know, they're generalists. They're meant to be generalists, and that is the the value. They're meant to be the quarterback, and um, and having deep specialization doesn't often always go along with that. And so now I think people will actually have the best of both. Um, and then I also think we're going to start to see more integration between online and offline. Um, and I think it's really important because there are limits to what telemedicine, telehealth can do just through the modality. And I think there are going to be a lot of places where you're going to have this sort of online, offline going back and forth. And I think that's really going to enable the best outcomes, which Alicia talked about, um, which I think is ultimately, I mean, access is the first thing that's important, but ultimately we want to all be driving the best outcomes. And with that, we'll kick it over to you, Allison. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to sum it all up, actually, the way we're looking at changes in virtual care and leading into the next, you know, decade, half a decade, is thinking about care teams and thinking about health as being an opportunity to bring multiple perspectives to bear on one patient. So to Varsha's point, like this idea of generalists, PCPs, even of just having, you know, throughout the maternal health journey that's important to us at Ruth Health, like one OBGYN is 
really not realistic for the types of lives that we lead today. We know that on average, almost a third of women actually switch from their gynecologist to their obstetrician before giving birth. So that's actually, to us, a great opportunity for women. It means that they get more perspectives. It means that they learn from different types of care providers and different types of training. Um, so we're really excited about this idea of care teams and having, you know, your, your GP or your family practice medicine, having your obstetrician gynecologist, then having your pelvic floor physical therapist, a lactation consultant who's accessible, somebody who helps a uh, corrective exercise specialist with C-section recovery, let's say. And then moving on from there to really kind of see these specialists that for so long in the U.S. have been considered a luxury. And, you know, I think that's what access really means. And that's how we get to better outcomes and a better state of overall well-being is never having fear to access those types of specialized providers who can be part of a group and who can provide multiple perspectives. We're always encouraging patients to get a second opinion. And I think telehealth is the fastest way in America these days to get that second opinion. So whether it's from, you know, an, an integrative specialist or somebody who can provide interstitial care between those doctor's visits, um, this is really how we expect to move the needle in terms of maternal health, because the U.S. does still have the highest maternal mortality uh, and severe maternal morbidity rates of any nation in the developed world. And one of the only ways that we can alleviate that issue is by keeping more eyes on the patient, whether that's from remote patient monitoring, that's from auxiliary care providers, it's from working with a doula who are incredible evidence-based providers that actually have only increased in prevalence. Only about 2 to 3% of Americans had doulas now coming out of the, we're still in the pandemic, but coming sort of on our, our tail side of the pandemic, we know that we may be up to about 6% of Americans who've worked with a doula. Um, and, you know, it's really exciting to see that. So our, our belief is that, you know, the more folks you can get in touch with who have practiced birth work or the more sort of members of a care team that you can integrate into your year of healthcare, the better off you'll be. Thank you, Allison. Thank you all so far for, uh, for your thoughts on the, on the questions that we've presented. Uh, this will be the last core topic that we go through today. Uh, so this will be what we'll wrap up on. Uh, starting with you, Allison, I want each person to go through uh, how you're, you're each playing a role in the future of women's health. And this, if there was ever an opportunity to plug your company, this would be it right here. Self-promotion, go for it. But I'm interested to hear from, from all of you. Okay, only if you insist, Jared. Um, I think the way that we at Ruth Health are, are trying to contribute to the future of women's health is by creating more supported pregnancies, um, a more collaborative care model, uh, an experience of health that is as much listening as from the provider as it is talking, if not more. And so, you know, we do that with our sessions in pelvic training and recovery, C-section recovery and lactation support. But we're also really excited about the care hub we're building out. And so that means not just one-on-one -on -one sessions with a provider, but also subscription-based and continuous care that can be asynchronous, access to your provider whenever you need them, being able to call or text a doula, let's say, and, and have that person at your disposal. And then most importantly, having a library of resources that are evidence-based. 
So that's the other big piece of the future to us is a world where we're not Googling so much as we are knowing where the resources sit and what evidence-based resources look like. Um, and then having them in ways that are digestible for a wide variety of people, for you know visual learners, for audio learners, um, having easy kind of step-by-step video guides, having written content, even having the opportunity to bring the non-birthing partner into the equation of pregnancy and postpartum, um, that's what excites us. And all of this means not just a more supported pregnancy, um, better health outcomes for mom and baby. It also means equity in a social sense. And so for us, that's about lowering the pregnancy tax, the tax paid by every birthing person in time, money, and career in order to bring new life into the world. So I think in many of the ways that Alicia's working in the menopause space and and Varsha's working across um, contraception and sexual health, and these are all types of care that need to be accessible for us in order to women to see things like pay equity and social equity. So we're, we're making up for a lot of lost time, but I feel really hopeful about the amount of access we can provide and the way we've brought those price points down as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it just gets us out of bed every day when we hear that a pelvic floor physical therapist had a six month waiting list, um, in a major urban center. And and now somebody can see them next week through us. Those are the kinds of experiences that actually bolster women's trust, uh, and adherence to care. And I think that's what can help us be a, a healthier population. Thanks so much, Allison. Want to kick it over to you, Varsha. And also, I would ask if you can quickly, I don't know how you're going to do this, but if you quickly maybe give us a a line or two uh, on the fact that you obviously Nurex and 30 Madison merged, maybe maybe give us the how the combined entity uh, plays a a role in the future of women's health. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Nurex has always been, um, we've been the leader in the female, in female focused care, uh, telehealth over the last three, four or five years. Um, and on our own, we were serving around 400,000 patients on a monthly basis at the end of last year. And so um, early this year, actually in um, March, we closed uh, our merger with 30 Madison, where we came together with, um, with them and really around a common vision about being the leader in virtual specialty care. Um, 30 Madison has largely been focused in and hair loss in as well as migraine and allergy and um, GI. And you know they have about four hundred thousand. They have about three hundred fifty thousand patients. So, kind of on day one, we come together as being probably the largest specialty virtual care um, uh, practice with about seven hundred fifty thousand patients, and um, you know across genders is what I would say. And so, I think you know our view is that as we um, so that's one thing we had a common mission around um, really going deep and delivering world-class care in uh, specialty areas, uh, access, but outcomes as well. Uh, We are, you know, sort of, we're quite complementary in terms of our demographics that we've been serving. So that's um, been really, it's it's a nice thing that we've been able to both bring to the table. And then the other piece is, you know, we've both started to make forays onto the B2B side. And so we felt like we could do that better together because as as everyone here knows, you know, um, 
really, really people want a platform, employers, payers, they want a platform of services. They're pretty tired of point solutions. And so our ability to, you know, marry up the areas that we're in together, we've kind of, we have now more than doubled to about 20 different conditions that we serve. And we're now able to come to payers and providers with more of a platform. So that's the vision of why we came together. Um, I think what I'm really excited about is that, you know, with this added uh, scale and, you know, our entry into the B2B side, we now have more of a impetus to go really deep into some of the areas that we wanted to in the past, but really have been probably just, you know, spread too thin. And so, you know, serving nearly half a million patients, women, largely women, I shouldn't say only, but um, uh patients on a monthly basis that are historically have been mostly using us to, you know, prevent pregnancy, we now have an opportunity to start to help them as they start to go into that family planning cycle. You know, we, we know they tell us um, when they're ready. And so we want to help them as they are sort of maturing in their reproductive journey and going deeper in some of those areas. But we're also really um, proud of the work that we do um, in prep for HIV prevention for people of all genders um, and sexual orientations, uh, as well as STI testing. And there's more that we want to do in the sexual health area as well. So I would say that um, our vision over the next several years is to really go deep in some of the adjacent areas that are relevant for our patients. Um, and then to layer in that lens in areas like mental health. So we have launched mental health, um, but I think we will we bring a unique um, angle to that given the care areas that we've been in historically and especially around being able to support postpartum depression or perimenopausal depression. You know, these are... Um, we are working with uh, patients in these areas um, from a reproductive health perspective already, so then to be able to uh, layer in some of the mental health uh, concerns that have um, come up is something that we're really um, uniquely suited to do. So, and I think we're really excited about it. So that's a little bit about what we have um, in store over the next couple of years. And um, yeah, we'd love for everybody to come and uh, check us out. Thanks, Marsha. Uh, and we're going to kick it over to you now, Alicia, to hear a little bit more about Evernow, and then we, uh, that'll, that'll be it. I couldn't imagine a better lead on lead in um, from Varsha when, when she said, you know, women's health does not equal reproductive health or doesn't have to just be constrained to reproductive health. And at Evernow, what we saw was a real drop off in women's health care after a woman had gone through her reproductive years, had her babies, gone through that period of time. It really feels like women's health care just falls off, off a cliff. Um, and when you speak to women, what you hear is that the, as they enter perimenopause, as they enter menopause, they feel incredibly unprepared for this major, not only life transition, but health transition that is happening with their bodies. Um, I would say, you know, the biggest thing we can be doing right now as ever now is not only serving this patient population of, of women as they're going through perimenopause and menopause and ensuring that they're getting the care that they need so desperately, 
Um, but number two, we have a major hurdle of, I think it's one of the last taboos that is out there about women's health. You know, we saw it with, um, talking about menstrual cycles. We saw it with talking about postpartum depression. And if you look at, um, you know, the younger generations, what you see is that those things are just spoken about so much more openly than I think you see in our patient population right now, which is, which is an interesting thing to try to break that taboo in a community of women who've never spoken about menopause and many of the, um, quite frankly, intimate details of going through menopause that many women just don't feel comfortable speaking about. Um, so we're deeply committed to making sure women know that they do have incredible, um, effective and safe solutions for not only the symptoms of menopause, but we're super committed to educating women just how impactful, um, going through menopause is on their long-term health in terms of you go through menopause and your number one killer by six to seven X above everything else is suddenly cardiovascular disease. I, I don't think most women know that. And I don't think they realize that if you go through a tough menopause with lots of symptoms, your risk of a heart event goes up by 70%. I mean, deep impacts on women's longevity and health. Um, most women don't know that when your estrogen plummets throughout menopause, your risk of osteoporosis skyrockets. Um, most women don't know that that's a very common time, as Varsha alluded to, for mental health challenges to erupt in women's lives. Many women suddenly have anxiety, depression, panic attacks for the very first time in their life as they're going through this hormonal transition. Um, we also see increased rates of cardiovascular disease. We see increased rates of metabolic disease. Um, the list goes on and on. And so we just see a giant opportunity here to not only educate women and help them understand that at this point, they really do need to be the CEO of their health, um, but also educate them and provide them access to care that can help them lead long, healthy lives, especially with our current generation of women expected to leave 40, 50% of their lives postmenopausal. Um, and then lastly, I think the thing we care deeply about and really requires everybody around the table talking about in, in the popular press um, and is why we've really spent a lot of time getting influential women around the table, whether it's Gwyneth Paltrow or Gwen Shotwell or Car Carla Harris or Demi Moore, to talk about menopause openly and show what a healthy life active woman can look like 50s, 60s, and 70s and beyond. Thank you so much, Alicia. And thank, thank you so much to all of you, uh, not just through this episode, but through other episodes. It's really cool. You, you give me such a great education on women's. It's like some, an area that I, even if I do like self-research, right, I'm not going to learn as much as if I'm hearing from the experts like, like all of you. So I really appreciate it. And I know a lot of other, uh, our whole audience does, and also a lot, of the, um, a lot of the guys out there that might not be able to get this education from, like, from three like you. So I really appreciate this. It uh, means a lot. And uh, can't wait to have you all back on again uh, real soon to go over some other areas, not, not just women's health, anything, anything in healthcare, and, uh, and, and really appreciate your time today.